Gig Gab, episode 67, for Tuesday, May 31st, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast. By, for, and about working musicians. I don't know. It's Tuesday morning. I don't know how to say this stuff. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. I'm Las Gatas, California. It's Paul Kent. You know, we've done Tuesdays lately, so I don't know why I'm uh, I'm out of sync today. It's because t- because today feels like Monday, because here in the U.S. we had um, we had the, the day off for Memorial Day yesterday. And it's a little earlier than we usually do this. It's a lot bit earlier than we usually do this in terms of when the sun came up and all of that. Yeah. Actually, has the sun even come up for you yet, Paul? I guess it probably has by 8 a.m. your time. My eyes are still closed. Yeah. <laughs> You're not sure. <laughs> uh, any gigs for you this past weekend, my friend? I had my first four in a row in a long time, oh. and I'm definitely feeling <laughs> feeling the pain. So I did two acoustics. Both were three-hour gigs, though, so pretty long acoustics. Yeah. And then, and then the House Rockers had a club date Saturday night, and then our first outdoor gig of the year on Sunday – uh, great crowd, you know, big stage band played really, really well. And, but, uh, man, my legs are killing me. My knees, mm. it's very humbling to get these reminders that you're, that you're not of the, not as young as you used to be that. Yeah. I was going to avoid that, but absolutely. <laughs> oh, <you know>? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. for sure. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's mostly knees and uh, kind of like shins and, and down that part. Back was, is actually pretty good. That's good. Rest rest of the body's all right, but man, you know, running around a stage and kind of putting it out, and you're keenly aware of it. But it's it's like it's funny, you know, when you're playing, you yeah. you, you conveniently forget. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah, no, you just you just ride through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I um I think I've mentioned on the show before the the really the biggest uh there have been two things that i've noticed as i've uh as i've kept aging which is better than the alternative folks I, i'll point out um truth but, right you know is um i i you know i can't wake up the next day after a gig and expect that i'm gonna have all the energy that i would have had if i had like a full night's sleep and uh and then number two is if i don't hydrate either during, which is almost impossible, or after the gig, which is possible. If I don't properly take care of that, I will wake up with leg cramps uh, and I will not get any sleep. So it's, um, but that, you know, it, like you said, uh, it's, you know, this is how it goes and I'm not going to stop playing. So do you think you'll ever stop playing, man? No, I didn't mean to get, you know, weird this morning, but. No, 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 no. In fact, me and Steve, our bass player, you know, we talk about this a lot, like, the thing about being a musician is you're a musician for life. I mean, yeah. you don't have to put it down. I mean, you don't have to run around the stage for your whole life, but, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're in this, we're in this for the long haul. And yeah, it's who we are. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had, I had, uh, what did I have? I feel I had a lot of things this weekend, but I technically only had one gig. Um, I, um, I had a gig with fling on Friday night, kind of the, the kickoff to the summer, similar to what it sounds like you went through. Uh, we played at this club down in Hampton beach, right next to, uh, the casino ballroom where well, the casino ballroom is kind of a, uh, it's a, it's a venue for touring acts. Uh, 
even though the name doesn't sound like that. And uh, uh, Joe Bonamassa was there. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. Uh, so we play right next door to that and we basically play the the after party, if you will. I mean, it's not announced as an after party, but the idea is we're playing as people stream out of the casino and we bring enough of them into the club and then we have a, a nice little set. But it's been interesting. I've been playing this gig for 11 years. Uh, it was the first gig I ever played when I got to New Hampshire with a different, an entirely different band. But um, but it's you know, it's it's an interesting thing. You have to understand your role in the timing of things. And once you get people in the club, then you can take breaks and, you know, treat it like a normal night. But there, there is some time, a timing element to this. And if you blow it, uh, you don't get anybody in the club. And I blew it once. Thankfully, it was because the owner of the club and I were having a really like engrossed conversation about running a business. And literally, we're standing there on the street where uh, the, the, these people are like streaming by us. And we're like, God, where are all these people coming from? And we just stayed in the conversation. And finally, you know, 10 minutes later, the guy's brother comes out and he's like, what the heck are you doing? You know, he's like, how come you're not playing? The owner was like, Oh, that's what was going on. Crap. We missed it. So, but thank but So, so I was, I had an excuse. Um, and it, I had the right, it, yeah, I had the right excuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but, but Friday night worked out great. The problem is this restaurant, it's a restaurant and they sell food and they make a lot of money selling food. So they don't want to move tables to, uh, you know, allow the band a stage area until they have to. And they don't really care if the band is playing earlier than, say, you know, 1015 or 1030, whenever these shows let out. Right. So we have always attempted to get there in time to be able to start at, say, nine o'clock or whatever and play a set and, and, and you know, get settled and all that because we didn't want to feel like we were taking advantage of them. But the problem was we would sit with our gear doing nothing, you know, not able to set it up or anything for a while. And this time we all talked about it. Like, you know, I don't think they care. So we called them like, no, as long as you start by whatever, 10, 10, 15, you're fine. So we showed up at nine o'clock and it was the smoothest load in we've ever had there. They'd already cleared the tables out of the way. It's like, okay, now we know what to do. <laughs> Took us long enough to figure it out. But uh, did you have a good crowd? We did. Yeah. I mean, it started you know, when we started playing the crowd and the club was relatively light uh, because the dinner crowd had sort of faded down and there were there were some, you know, regulars in the bar. But uh, but for the most part, you know, we pulled people in off the street, which is how it works there. And then and then the place filled up. And it was I would say, you know, it's always interesting. The crowd, it, it, you know, based on who just played next door, you get this, you know, you get a, a different cross section of, of people and the people that were in there on Friday night were like half of them wanted to be up and dancing, which was great. And the other half just wanted to sit and watch a band play, um, which makes you ever get the guys who, who finish next door coming to your club. Uh, yes, but um, only if they know somebody, it would, it would happen anytime we played the party after extreme. Cause I was in that band with Kelly who, uh -huh. who knew the guys. So yeah, they would come over and, and actually sit in with us. And that was always a blast. That's really cool. Yeah. Especially it didn't hurt that they would started announcing it from the stage. So the club would just be, you know, packed with people. Well, that was always cool. fun. Yeah. But um, otherwise I don't think so. But um, but I wouldn't necessarily know because they don't sometimes it's people like Joe Bonamassa, who I, certainly I would recognize. Perhaps not everybody would recognize. Um, I would. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Most listeners to this show likely would recognize him. But but other people might not. But other times it's been, you know, like the the Fab Four uh, or the Fab Faux rather played once. And so, I mean, I would know if, you know, if Will Lee walked in the room, but I don't know if I would, I would probably recognize the other people in that band, but there are bands where I, I don't know, you know, who knows? Joe would probably be in one of my top five musicians I'd like to meet. Yeah. And not because he's like the most famous guy in the world, but he seems like the most genuine, 
great guy. Like he's given so much of himself to help other guitarists. Yeah. Everything I've ever seen of him, he just seems like such a good guy. I would, I would love to, and you know, obviously virtuosity, yeah. but I would love to meet, I'd love to meet Joe Bonamassa. Yeah. He seemed, he, he knows where he came from. For sure. And, he's and, humble. And, and, but he also knows that he has potentially has a role to play for the next generation. And so he, he sees, you know, that it's a, it's a path and he's got to contribute. Like you said, he, you know, very generous uh, with, with his time with other musicians. Yeah. So but, I had two interesting things from the weekend. I want to I want to finish one story though about this sure. fling gig because it it was interesting having people sitting and watching and also people dancing, uh, and even the people dancing wouldn't necessarily be up all night. It was kind of this up and down thing. But people were I mean these people were intently focused on everything we did and um, and That's it was cool. it was a true pleasure. And you know every time I looked out and kind of surveyed anybody in the crowd, and it didn't matter if we were playing cover tunes or our originals. These people were totally into it and just joy. It didn't hurt that it was, you know, a nice summer night and all. I mean, you know, there were other factors going on other than us playing. But uh, but when you can just look and see nothing but joy out there, um, that's a beautiful thing. It is a really beautiful thing, especially. And it's a it's a it's a special thing when you're a band that is expected to get people to dance because you tend to get a little bit tight when there's not as many dancers as you think it would be. Mm. But if you can actually look out there and observe and take in that it's not through lack of interest, it's actually that people are very focused. Yeah. It, it's, it uh, kind of summons up a different part of your musicianship. You know what I mean? It does. And the band we had, I mean, we've been working together a lot. In fact, today, hopefully today, but certainly sometime this week, we will be releasing five of the tunes that we literally just yesterday finished uh, mixing and mastering um, with Flink, five of our originals. And so we've been working together a lot. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and I think we've kind of hit like a new plateau as in terms of just the interpersonal sort of relationship of the band and Friday night's gig really had an element of that where everybody was kind of taking more chances than, than they might otherwise take. But it was a supportive element. You know, it was like, Ooh, he took a chance and, you know, we supported him. And, and if he flubbed a little or, or didn't, you know, we were there to catch him. And then that inspired, you know, it kind of, it, it brought the, everybody's game up a little bit. And, uh, and it was, it was a blast. We really, I, I really like the way you put that, that, you know, that it, that it touched the interpersonal thing, because you and I have said this for a long time. It is a team sport. Totally. And I don't really understand the bands that stay together or hang together that don't have that connection between band members. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. I, how, do you, how do you play like that? Um, Mechanically. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know that I've ever not had that to be honest. I, I mean, I always look for it. It is, you know, I've, I've mentioned that the, the thing that, that keeps me, one of the things that keeps me playing uh, is knowing that there will be that, sort of unspoken conversation that happens amongst musicians. And so yeah. the relationship develops there, even if it's my first gig, even if I'm just, you know, sitting in subbing for somebody or whatever, it, it's, there's still to me that, that communication. And it, I mean, I start it if, if someone else doesn't, but I always look to, you know, find allies and, and then you bond and then you get to the set break and it was like, Hey man, that's pretty cool. I'm Dave, you know? <laughs> um, but you know, remember you, we had the conversation about firing people. Yeah. I was thinking back about the people who I've had to fire. I, get, I think there's been five, six or seven guys. And the first three or four guys that come to mind, it wasn't because of their chops. It was entirely because of their vibe. Yeah. Just, it was no fun to play with them. Yeah. 
I, I believe it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, you've got to have, it's got to be there. It's be there. so important. Yeah. So anyway, I, I interrupted you to, to well, finish I interrupted my you, story. But, but here's my two stories from the weekend. So yep. one is uh, the club date we played on Saturday night. It's the club you came and saw me at out at the, at the ocean. Yep. And um, good gig. Always a good gig down there. At least from my vantage point, though, we had a few more incidences of people behaving badly. And um, I was interested if you have any experience. So I'll tell you what happened to us and then you sure. can just kind of tell me. So uh, we're on a, actually the first event was while we were on a break and my back was to this, but all of a sudden I heard a big crash. But um, evidently there was a girl, a guy came up and was behaving very badly and, you know, was kind of manhandling this girl uh. and Steve, our bass player. And Steve is a big guy. Yeah, <laughs> He came up and he grabbed the guy and he said, don't do that. And in the process of doing that, he grabbed the guy. The guy fell back into the girl who he was behaving badly towards. Oh. That girl fell back and hit this little tiny girl who oh. I have another story about. Um, and she just went flying. I mean, I mean, like I really thought she was going to be hurt because I just heard the thud when she hit the ground. Yeah. And we turned around. And security had to come. And, you know, the guy told Steve and Nick, you want to go outside? You know, all that type of stuff. Sure. And, uh, and so we had that type of thing. And the funny, I was thinking that Steve has done this once before. We had a guy at an outdoor gig, big show, decided he wanted to be funny and come on stage. And he came on stage and he's like in front of the stage and I'm weighing my choices of what to do. In the moment while I'm weighing my choices of what to do, Steve had no doubt. He put his face <laughs> down, came and grabbed the guy and threw him, literally threw him off the stage. Uh, so yeah, I guess Steve is kind of the enforcer. You know, it so- sounds it like it. Yeah. You know, and he's a, he's a chill guy. You know, Steve. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would not expect things. that out of him. But I mean, it, given his size, I can see where he could get away with that and has learned yeah. that he can get away with that. Yeah. I, I don't know how often he's called to get away with it. It's right. the thing. I mean, it's, right. he's not an aggressive guy, but, you know, with the girl, good for him. You know, that's that's chivalrous. And, yeah. you know, he's a very ethical and moral dude. Um, so I'm glad that he did that. <laughs> the, the poor third girl in the Domino's chain who got innocently knocked down, you know, unfortunate for that. But um, you do you ever have that? Have you ever had? You know where a musician gets really pissed off and it has to has to address uh, a patron of a club behaving poorly. I'm trying to think if I've ever had a musician do that. I mean, we, we've we've seen incidents of that at uh, at uh, Macworld All Star Band gigs, one in particular. Um, but I, no, not typically. I if I see something going down, I will get the attention of the the security staff. Uh, at the bar. And I, I mean, I've seen that many times. Um, I, I always feel like it's better if the band stays out of it um, because you're in a weird spot there. What, what if they come on stage? Oh um, yeah. I've, I've seen that happen. Um, but you know, uh, um, I, I it, and I, I'm, you know, it's weird for me because I'm always behind the kit. Right. So uh, it's you're the farthest I, way to go. To, to I, I am a spectator to these things. It, yeah. You know, it's never been been otherwise. So and I've seen it where I remember when I played with Murray a couple of times, we played Murray uh, Woods, who was the guitar player and singer in the blues trio that I played in down in Texas. And Murray would um, people would come up on stage because people would be having fun and they'd have a little too much to drink or whatever. And then they'd come up and. uh and and he would sort of just push him off the stage 
And he was a little guy. I mean, you know, maybe five, nine scrawny guy, but, uh, but wasn't afraid to just, you know, no, get out of here. You got to go. Um, but he would always, you know, he would always say something to them into the microphone first to get the attention of the club so that there was someone aware of what was going on as he, you know, as he got rid of them from the stage and perhaps they could be, you know, um, greeted when they got off the stage by someone that, that might be able to, uh, to, you know, to wrangle it in. I, I do remember one, actually two bar fights, big bar fights. Um, at, uh, one of them was at a club actually not too far from where I played the other night. And we were playing, we were playing sweet home, Alabama. I was there with a trio, different trio. And all of a sudden these two girls got into a fight. I mean, like bottles smashing hair oh pulling gosh. right in front of the band. I mean, there was a, there was a, a dance floor ish kind of thing, but there was no, there was no stage. So the only separation that existed other than maybe a mic cable running across the front, um, was a, a virtual wall, <laughs> you know, but thankfully people sort of respect that. And, and so it became, but it, it started with these two girls right in front of us and became this huge thing. It was a biker bar. And, uh, and it was, it was amazing how watching this happen. We, we as a band knew not to stop playing because that, that fourth wall comes down potentially when you stop and then suddenly you're involved in whatever this mess is. But, I wouldn't know to stop playing actually. Well, now you do. How did you, how did you, how did you know? Oh, we all just looked at each other, like keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know that you would need to know that ahead of time. You, you'd figure it out in the moment. I, I think you're like, uh, just pretend like, yep, it's all good. Uh, oh, but it, you know, by the, by the, the, the peak of it, it probably was 10 people, uh, you know, just like, and, and some of them really big guys and, uh, and the club, the bouncers at the club, it was so, it was amazing to watch this. They came, they sort of circled, they semicircled around half of this group and just started driving them toward the door. The, the fight's still happening. I mean, you know, it's like this smoke and it bottles. Was a tactic. It was a tactic. And by the time they got to the door, there was a police officer there to greet everybody. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, awesome. All right, good. Well, the fifth verse of uh, Sweet, Sweet Home Alabama can now yeah. end. And, uh, you know, we can, we can wrap this up here for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was not cool. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yeah. But it was, I mean, the good part, the cool part was that the club was absolutely ready for this and knew exactly what to do. Clearly the bartender, you know, got on the phone with the police while the yeah. bouncers, you know, they, they had a plan of attack and, and that was good. And I kind of, I feel like it, based on my experience, every club has some level of a plan of attack. I mean, a club that's a biker bar probably has a little more detailed plan than, than a, you know, just like a, a, a wine and cheese bar perhaps. But, but it, chances are, unless they're a brand new club, they've dealt with something like this before and they're pros at it and they have their own way they want to handle it. And that's kind of, that's always my feeling. It's like, get it, get myself. Or if there's someone who's truly in danger, um, you know, that that's different. But but otherwise, it's, you know, alert the club and let them do what it is they've already planned to do for this. You have to have that plan with alcohol I, I involved. I 17 years, I've, we've never played around a bar fight. Well, I've noticed that clubs where um, some clubs are just chill and, and there's no, you know. Uh, there's alcohol involved. There's, you think yeah. the chance is always there, right? Yeah, well, there's chance. And then there's there's the type of room it is and how much hormones, uh, you know, interact there, right? 
Um, and it definitely depends on the age of the, the age and clientele, uh, for sure. Uh, but I've seen it where there's, you know, we, we have a, a phrase, it's one of the two F's, right? People come out looking for a fight or looking for love. And, uh, some clubs is, <laughs> not oh, did I skip that? Sorry. Um, some, you know, some clubs it's like the fight is the response and yeah. other clubs, uh, it's, it's the other one and that's what people are there for. And, and I much prefer to play the latter, but sometimes, you know, you wind up playing the former, but what's interesting to me is based on what I've seen, especially around here, clubs are one or the other. And, and it's rare to go to a club on a different night and, and see, you know, see it change. Like there's this one club called the gaslight, um, where we play, sometimes we play electric, but mostly it's acoustic gigs. It's out on deck right in downtown Portsmouth. Great place. And it really turns into a meat market, uh, you know, where people just, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to watch the dynamics, you know, from the stage where people are, you know, finding each other and, 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 you know, connecting with each other and all of that good stuff, but there's never a fight there, but there's a lot of people looking for love, which is yeah, I, great. I don't think I, the house rockers aren't playing those venues where people right. looking for a fight are possible. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's because the venues that I look for us are ones that are going to have a big enough stage or, you know, yep. those types of things. But, yep. uh, and I, and now that you're, you're phrasing it that way, I could think of what those clubs would be in California, in Northern California. Sure. But, um, I guess we've been, we're lucky and we're picky and I don't think, I don't think my guys would put up with, you know, we, we don't need a gig that badly that we would play a gig, you know, even if the money was decent, that, uh, if it wasn't an entirely safe environment. Yeah. No, I, I'm the same way. We, it, you know, the clubs that I played where there's the the fights, those, uh, you know, it's like, okay, that's the last time we, we're yeah. going to play here. Yeah. We, and in fact, there was one club in Portsmouth called The Page where we played there twice. And the first night we saw like a little skirmish, but it was like, okay, you know, these kinds of things happen occasionally. You know, it yeah. wasn't a big deal. It's just two people, a little bit, and then it was broken up by their friends. And it was like, okay, fine. I almost didn't even remember it until we played there the next time. And there was a huge fight. I was like, oh, remember, wait a minute. What is with this place? And then like a week later, uh, somebody was killed in a fight uh, right outside. It started inside and it, it finished, unfortunately, uh, terribly, unfortunately, outside. And the club closed and hasn't opened since. In fact, nothing has existed in that place since. And it was, but, it, you know, after the it, before the person was killed, but after we did that, we were like, okay, we're done. Yeah. We had another gig booked there. It was like, guys, I think we got to cancel that gig. And, you know, there was some discussion and then the club closed down. I was like, all right, well, there's no more discussion. Decision made. Decision yeah. made. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, so hearing you say that, so, so the second part of my story from Saturday night was um, about halfway through the second set. So it was about a two, a two seventy five, 80 minute set gig. Yep. And um, about halfway through the second set, the, the girl who got knocked down that I was referring to in the first story so she was, she didn't even look 21 to me, all right? Mm. So she's dancing right in front of the stage, pretty provocatively, overly provocatively. And she's kind of working her way up and down the stage, you know, from one end to the other. Um, and then, like I said, about middle middle of the second set, some guy appears to be with her. And I'd observed this guy because he looked like out of it. I mean, he didn't mm. look right. Yeah. And um and then, so she's dancing right in front of Nick, and this guy is behind her, and his hands are all over her. I mean, in, entirely inappropriately all over her. Yeah. And I actually stopped what I was doing. The song kept going, but I stopped what I was doing. I said, don't do that. 
right? So I, I'm actually reflecting now about, you know, wrong place, wrong time. So the guy kind of looked at me and, and, um, and stopped what he was doing. Like I said, he looked pretty out of it to begin with. Yeah. And so I, you know, was pretty demonstrative. Don't do that. Yeah. And, um, Nick looks at me and then he, he makes a motion with his, uh, his index finger and his thumb rubbing together. And I didn't get what he was doing. Uh-huh. So I went over to him between songs. He goes, I think he paid for her is what Nick said. Oh. And so, and then, you know, a whole bunch of thoughts kind of go through my mind. Like I said, hearing your story about this club, yeah. wrong place, wrong time. You tell the wrong guy, you know, who's already zoned out of it. Yep. Right. But you know, I, it was, it was, uh, it was very uncomfortable for me. Um, to play with this right in front of me, it was, yeah. uh, you know, I'm sure it was making other patrons extremely uncomfortable. I mean, I, I still think it was the right thing to do, whether it was the smartest thing to do. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, and that that's sort of why it's always, you know, it, clubs we're, we're not. our. It's not my job to police the people there. And and part of the reason that it's not my job is I am not trained to do that. You know, yeah. uh, I do notice a lot of things as 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 you do, too. I mean, and. And I mean, I think that that's one of the best things I, I I enjoy about this this you know family that we are all part of this brotherhood, if you will, but it's a sisterhood too. Um, so it's a family of musicians. Is we all have these stories of things we've seen from the stage, you know that, and it's a view that most like you know most people, in fact, almost everyone will never get to experience. But um, but there are those things, but. It they because it's this somewhat abnormal perspective on on people in a very different loose, if you will, environment. You have to sort of um, you have to process it. I I find that I have to process it differently than I would if I was a patron, you know, um, at the place. And some of that there is a responsibility, you know. No doubt. And you do have some control over it. If you see people getting out of control, you can say, hey, look, you know, stop doing that. And I remember I saw They Might Be Giants, actually, years and years ago uh, before they became like a band that that also played for kids. And uh, I guess they were playing for kids. They were just, you know, maybe 19 to 25 year old kids. Um, (laughs) And it was in New Haven at a place called Toads, a very famous club in this area, actually. Yeah, Yeah, right. And uh and they, the people were moshing and you could tell the band was like, what's going on here? And finally, after three or four songs, they, they stopped and they said, this moshing thing, um, I need to tell you, our fans don't do that. So you guys got to kind of stop because this isn't what's going to happen tonight here. And sure enough, people chilled out and then it was a, a great show. Um, so, you, you know, you, you can control, you, you, you can exert some control there, but you have, it has to be very, very um, very calculated, I feel, um, and, and very, very thoughtful, I guess. My mind is kind of going all over the place as we're having this conversation, because, you know, on one side of me, uh, when you're on the stage, are you passive or are you, are you, you know, kind of, you are accountable for the environment. So that's kind of a cool story. Interesting that they would take the chance of alienating an audience, but you know what, if you're, if you're bad enough, that's what you do because it's it's your house while you're up on stage. Yeah. And maybe that's the right thing to do. So now I'm thinking that, you know, I shouldn't feel so bad about what I did because that's the right thing to do. There are, yeah. there are a hundred other people trying to dance and who wants to look at that. Right. So, so, you know, be, be the guy when you're on stage is certainly one way to look at it. Yeah. And maybe, um, maybe a different way to handle that instead of don't do that. It's more of a, Hey, not right here, buddy. Yeah. I mean, you, you 
I was a little incensed about it. Of but course. He, I don't have to take it out on him. Correct. I mean, he, he's, the guy's got clearly, you know, a world of problems of his own. So right. you're right. You know, the, the smart thing to do is talk people off the ledge or, or, yeah. or give them a chance to do the right thing. And, and uh, but that's, you know, it's hard in the moment. The sociology of being a musician. We're not all, you know, trained to we're, talk we're people not, off the we're ledge. We're not right? trained. No, I mean, yeah. it's, I, I don't know that I would have thought of that in the moment, but as we're having the conversation and, you know, five minutes after you've told me and it's processing, it's like, Oh, here's a different way to handle it. Yeah. Well, can you go back in time? No. Um, I was listening, speaking at interacting with the crowd, I was listening to bare naked ladies, latest live album. They did one. Uh, they recorded it back in July at red rocks in Colorado. And, uh, it just came out. So I was listening to it on Apple music the other day and it's their first live album since Steven page left the band and all of that. Uh, but it's, I, I, you know, I, I like live albums. They, they, I, I find that a lot of my favorite albums are always live and part of it is the performances, but part of it is, you know, hearing how a band works live in every facet, you know, how do they address these songs that might've been, you know, creations of the studio, but also if I get the chance and they put it on the album, how do they deal with the crowd? And Ed Robertson, who's the, the remaining lead singer of, of bare naked ladies, uh, was walking the crowd through a sing-along thing. He was teaching them the lyrics for this thing. It was kind of a call and answer. He's like, it's very, very, very easy. He's like, when I sing this, you sing the same thing back to me. And he's sort of playing his guitar in time and showing people how it goes. And the band started sort of ramping up into the song and you can hear kind of, you know, it's, it's doing what you would expect it to do. And this is all very, I don't know if it's scripted, but they, it's certainly not the first time they've done this. You know, they know what they're doing. They've got a crowd of 9,000 people there at Red Rocks mm-hmm. and they're doing what they're doing. And Ed says, all right, you've got it. Here we go. By the way, um, as as you're uh, as you're singing, if you look around and you see somebody else uh, that's not singing, it's because they're a racist. And boom, right into the song they go. <laughs> it's like, man, you've got to have that crowd in the right spot of the palm yeah. of your hand. You know, it's like that word is an incendiary word. Wow. It hits you the wrong way. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, he got to the end of the song and, and thank the, thank the crowd. He's like, thanks so much for singing along. You sounded great. I hope none of you felt pressured into doing that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you've got their vibe though, right? It is their vibe. No, it's totally their vibe, but you've got to have that relationship with your audience. Um, and, and there's something to be said for that, right? And the same was true with that. They might be giants show, you know, when they talked to the crowd and said, look, our, our fans don't do that. It was not the first time they had addressed the crowd and it was, it was their style to sort of be, you know, I mean, they were always this sort of, you know, heady intellectual band that did weird Mm -hmm. things. And so they, they knew they had set up a pattern of addressing their crowd in this sort of heady intellectual way. And so to say that was not out of character for them. And, and I think that's the that's the key is, is, you know, remaining consistent for most of the people in the room uh, when you're handling those sort of, you know, oddball situations. I don't know. It's not easy. It sucks. In fact, when you got to deal with that, but would love people when they uh, post on our Facebook page, if, if they want to share some, some stories from the stage would be really cool. I mean, we'll read them on, on, uh, on the air here. And yeah. uh, I think those are things that bond all musicians together. Cause I'm sure there's some facet of the stories that I've just told that, you know, whether it's violence like like you shared or whether it's just people behaving badly in other ways that uh, we've all observed. If you play in a club, if you play anywhere, I will say that this playing these outdoor gigs gives me a greater appreciation. So, you know, the same people who go to the club philosophically to go to these outdoor gigs, but it seems like the vibe in these outdoor gigs. I mean, we get people who 
I'm thinking about this guy who comes to a lot of the outdoor gigs. He's, he's an older guy. He's there when we get there to set up. Um, that's cool. He, he comes with rubber snakes all wrapped around his neck and he just is a freak. You know, yeah. he just, let's, I mean, he's just awesome. I That's mean, awesome. I have such a great appreciation. So anyway, um, people behaving badly is an interesting topic. I, I have one last thing to tell you about. Sure. Um, this may take us into an, in a whole nother episode, but you know, we've been playing this club in my town for a long time, for the last two years. Okay. We've invested quite a bit into playing in this club. And, you know, originally it was a really low paying gig, but it was something I knew I wanted to get us into. We played one, one show there at a low pay. And then after I said, Hey, how about if we just take the door? No guarantee. Yeah. And the guy was totally fine about it. And this is a club I told you about that. We play a seven thirty to ten fifteen gig. And then the DJ starts at about ten fifteen and goes till one. Got right? it. Yep. And you know, there's other, there's many arms and legs to the history of us playing in this, in this club. But uh, I got a call from a friend of mine whose band was playing there on Saturday night. And he was like, hey, what, what do you hear about this couch that they put on the stage? And I said, oh, you know, I think a lot of times after the band plays, they, they use the stage as like a, a bottle service. Um, oh, yep. Right. And, and you know, because we've been, we've been rushed off the stage a few times so the people who paid for bottle service can get their, their seating. Um, and there's, there's this kind of rising tension, you know, that the, we've done very well. We've invested very, very hard in building an audience there. And we're consistently drawing about 200 people when nice. we play there. That's, that's good, great. right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Anyway, so the couch. So my buddy's band, I said, oh, you know, they do this bottle service. It's, it's removable furniture. You'll get there and move it off. So he gets there and he starts sending me pictures. They have built a built-in couch along the back edge of the stage. So it was a hard wall at the back end of the stage. And there's a built-in couch that basically takes about two to three feet of distance. And like our 10-piece band, it's already like a clown car packing everybody up there. There's no freaking way. So the point of this, and so he was really ticked off that they they weren't really giving any heads up. The guy hasn't called me. So two years, you know, we've filled his club from 7.30 to 10.15. You know, yeah, we've made our money, but, you know, that's... That would have been dead time for him, the guy who owns the club. And I will hearken back to our last conversation where I say that I have a personal issue with respect. Yeah. I think a call that says, hey, we're changing our stage, you know, you, you know, you may have a problem fitting on it would be would have been an appropriate thing. Yeah, I, I'm with I, you. I, I'm with you on this. Ex- and and uh, his business. I don't I don't deny in any way. Sure. But as a businessman, not only have I not only have. We made him a lot of money by bringing a lot of people in. I've referred other business to him. I mean, just as a businessman, and everybody who I tell this story to says, hey, if he's making more money in the bottle service, you know, the money is speaking. Sure. You know, that's it. I totally respect that. Totally get it. Wish them well. But I do think that there's a, a uh, if you are a business person, why wouldn't you not keep the people who are rooting for you and trying to do things for you? Um, why not include them in some kind of a conversation? Not necessarily ask their permission. That's no, not what this is about. That's no, it's it's his club, not yours. Totally. That's right. But I think so, I think part of it is because I've seen this and, and, and perhaps this goes beyond what I'm about to say, but but maybe not. I've seen clubs make changes or tell bands to set up in areas that are completely uh, impractical for that right you know they 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 make a change like this or maybe not like this but um you know they make a change to the area and you show up 
Uh, but it's like, well, dude, you know, this isn't going to work. Why? Well, th- you know, because we can't have a speaker right here because you've got a doorway. Oh, huh. We didn't think about that. Right. There, and there is that process. They're they're running a club. They're selling booze and food and and entertaining patrons. They're not thinking about the logistics of exactly how a band gets set up. It's not like if you or I ran a club. Right. We would just see that stuff because we have decades of of we, we it would be impossible for us to ignore it. Right. And we walk in and it seems like. How in the world could somebody possibly have done this knowing what's supposed to happen? But eh, they don't really know what's happening. They know that a band sets up over there. That's it. You know, they pay, they pay money and that's that. So I'm not to that point yet. I'm still kind of like, like stewing this. I mean, we've been the top drawing band for this place yeah, and we're a 10 piece band and we are packed up on that stage. Any decision about, about that stage could potentially affect that, that, you know, this, of course, Yeah. And he owes us nothing. I will say that again and again and again. Sure. It is, it's disappointing because we've invested a lot to build an audience there, right? We, yeah. They, they promoted us none, never, ever. You know, they, they put ads in the paper for the DJ that's going to be there after us. But really, there's been no – so we've done a lot to drive. And, you know, now there's 200 people who like to come see us once a month at a club environment that, you know, they're not going to know what the heck happened, right? Yeah, that's and right. So, you know – the next part of the discussion would be, you know, the the way that we phrase. And and I, and I know that there's um, some of the people who come to see us who listen to the show. And I, what I'm processing through now is be professional. So talking to the other musicians who are listening out there, when you have any kind of a divorce in any kind of a business situation, be professional. I'm not going to I'm sure. not going to take to Facebook and tell our fans, hey, this is terrible. You know, go complain to them. I, you know, that would not wouldn't be my style and I don't think it's the right thing to do, but you know, I think people are going to say what happened. And, you know, I, I guess the answer will be, you know, they made a business decision that, um, you know, taking care of the, that type of audience was more, more lucrative to them than having live music. And so be it. Yeah. So, you know, there's so many parts of this, like yeah, any yeah. musician is hearing this is going on, you know, I, I've, I've seen this before. Oh, of course. Death yeah. of a live music venue. It's a, it's a very sad thing, right? It, it sucks when you put time into something and then suddenly it's, you know, for whatever reason that the, it changes direction. And uh, I will say this, um, dealing with many live views, music venues, I've been trained for this or perhaps it's, it's helped train me. It's like dealing with Apple. Um, and, and people that, that, you know, know our crossover here, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, I've always said there What's are, best to- for me? there are times when, um, what, what you're doing is also what Apple is doing. And so they will walk next to you, uh, and you will walk a path together. And then suddenly you'll realize, whoa, you know, three blocks ago, Apple took a left-hand turn. They didn't tell me why. Well, we were doing, now we're doing this other thing. Oh, I see. We weren't friends. We just had a, a shared interest and that's okay. Very, very good analogy. Right. And when, once you get used to that, then things get a little, a little bit easier, a little. But there you go. That's all I got. I all think right, that's, that's a good place to wrap up. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Tell us your stories from the stage. Uh, that I, I feel like that's a segment now, you know, <laughs> because they are they are infinite. So please, tales please. Sh- tales from the stage. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you can find us on we'll Facebook. We'll make it a coffee table book. There you go. Oh, perfect. If yeah. you have pictures, send those along to. Ooh. I've all, you know. Yeah. Family show. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's, yeah, exactly. But send the pictures because we've seen them. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, 
<laughs> facebook.com slash podcast is where you can find us there. And, uh, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Paul. See you, Dave. Have a good one. You too.